This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. How, how are you today, Charlie? Oh, Charlie, you're wearing some Tofop merchandise, and I am also wearing Tofop merchandise. Look at us, <laughs> the number one supporters of this podcast. A couple of goddamn shills, that's what we are. Well, not shills, because we believe in our own product, and we're not even getting a discount. We're just actually buying. Oh, you are getting a discount. Did you get some free shit? Is that what's going on in your world, Charlie Clawson? No, no, but um, after I post, because I posted on the Instagram uh, a few different photos of the things I ordered, I got like three great t-shirts and I've got a couple of um, Australia's number one medical podcast mugs coming as well. Uh, And uh, someone who works at Redbubble contacted me to say, hey man, really loved your Instagram posts, your t-shirts look great. If you want to keep promoting this stuff, we're happy to give you a discount. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A discount code you can use to buy your own stuff. And I was like... (laughs) All right, sure. I mean, I'm not sure if, because he said, oh, we'll give you a code. And I, I wasn't sure if that was, that's a code we can then, you know, give out to people because I'm like, are we just taking food out of James Fosdyke's mouth? We, if we give people a discount, is uh, Redbubble absorbing that discount or is James absorbing that discount? I mean, it's a generous discount for Redbubble to offer if they're not wearing anything. <laughs> If they're reaching out going, we will take this money out of the artist's profits just to, like, we won't run it by them. We won't ring the artist. Yeah. We won't, we'll just go, there's this dude on Instagram who's wearing them. We're going to give him some, uh, we're going to give this dude, this complete stranger to us, somebody who's not part of the Redbubble network, we're going to give yeah. him a discount that'll go out of James Fosdyke's pocket. And for all they know, like I could have been just some dude. I mean, it's not, it's, it's a podcast, like mm. it's an audio, audio medium. But I think uh, it was a good reaction. I was, I'm glad I did it. I was felt a bit dorky posing in the t-shirts because I was just like, oh, I was just, is this going to look, you know, I think the bass player for Metallica occasionally wears Metallica t-shirts on stage. And I'm always like, oh, come on, dude. Like we all know, <laughs> we all know what band we've come to see. <laughs> But you're the one who actually talked me around in it. i come to see you a few times before COVID kicked in and you'd always have a different TOEFOP t-shirt on. And I was genuinely impressed by the designs and the quality of the material and stuff. And you talked them up. So I was like, you know what? I want to get a few of these like TOEFOP tees. I keep saying, because, you know, Jim and I are still renting and I'm always like, well, once I, we buy our house and we've been looking for two years, but once we buy a house, that's when I'll get all Foz Duck's artwork framed and put in the walls. But it just seems like a hassle while you're renting and, you, you know, your, your accommodation could be temporary to frame something and then have to move it. But I thought in the meantime, I'll use my chest as the as the art gallery the chest can be my living room wall your chest is a wall you made that promise yeah. uh when you started getting fit that you were going to build a wall and you were yeah. true to your promise and also the thing is you're mostly at home at the moment so basically yeah. you are art 
You are decoration yes. around the house. You're something that Gemma and your daughter have to look at constantly. So you might as well be looking interesting. <laughs> they are good t-shirts though. I can honestly say that. Uh, you know, Redbubble haven't applied that discount yet. I, I paid full price, but they're good t-shirts. I encourage everyone, especially... Because the thing about James's artwork, and this is, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how we're redoing the website. And part of the focus of that website is just giving proper attention to James's artwork. The entire website will be built around James's artwork for not just Tofop, but philosophy as well. And we, I think we take it for granted. Like Gemma, who, you know, studied uh, art in college, whenever she sees one of Fosdark's new bits of artwork, she's always like, this guy is so good. And you guys are underpaying him and you're not promoting him nearly enough. Like you're getting like world-class art for a discount rate every week. You should be making more to promote it. And I feel like, yeah, that's true. I want people to, I want to wear those t-shirts out and have people ask me where I got it or what it means. You know, often on a Patreon, if a podcast has a Patreon, they'll have a level, say 20 bucks or whatever, where it comes with a t-shirt. But this is for people who have like a living room full of their own merchandise. You know, they've ordered some T-shirts from China and then they can send them out. For us, that would be an impractical thing to do. But I also think there's a subset of people who listen to this, particularly those who fall into the medical practitioner category, who might like (laughs) to listen to the podcast, but not necessarily wear some goofy, you know, podcast T-shirt around the workplace that might mean that other people didn't have the faith in them they previously had. So maybe there should be a Patreon level where you buy us a T-shirt. If you if you are willing <laughs> clothe us, if you are willing to pay say thirty bucks a month, that means you and I can buy each other a piece of Tofop merchandise for that month, and then at least we can wear it around. Well, how about rather than it just like Tofop, we open it up, we offer a tier, like maybe it's a fifty dollar mm-hmm. tier. You buy us a t shirt, and we have to wear it for a week, and you can supply us with any t shirt, you know. So it can be like those, remember though in the 80s, dirty t-shirts were a big thing. You'd go to like South Melbourne Market and you'd see dirty t-shirts. Like, remember that one? It was, I think it's the Happy Fisherman and it's a cartoon of a guy fishing and then you go into the water and a fish is giving him a blowjob. So someone pays 50 bucks on the Patreon and you and I have to wear that t-shirt for a week. Yeah. And Gemma will be looking at you like, so we found out what you'll do for 50 bucks. This is, (laughs) this is what we've learned in this pandemic, what you will do. For $50. Well, I have to, I mean, I'm, I'm seriously considering like what I might have to do because this pandemic has devastated the industry that you and I work in. And especially I was thinking about um, a television, you know, we talked last week about how you'd been watching a bunch of free to air and how you said it was cooked. And, you know, I agree. Like I don't can't remember the last time I watched free to air TV. And then I thought about it. And it's like, well, that's pre- predominantly the field that I've worked in for the last 20 years. And everyone I know who's working on a show at the moment, it's all ground to a halt. Development's ground to a halt. Production is ground to a halt. And it's going to be hard to restart a lot of these things. And I'm like, well, it could be the case that there aren't any jobs to go back to. Like, you know, people who are more gainfully employed than me normally are going to find it tough getting a job. So someone who's more sporadic like me is going to find it even tougher. What else can I do? Well, I think that's a conversation we're all starting to have with ourselves because, you know, when this first started, there was just a bit of me that was like, okay, well, this six months is going to be very hard. But if I can get through this six months... By the time this six months is done, Gruen will be back. Things will probably be pretty normal by the time that we go to the Gruen. And then by then I'll probably be able to do some live touring off the back and that's how I can earn my living. But now we're looking at a world where I think we will probably still do Gruen. We're certainly having those conversations around doing it, but it's going to be a very 
very different show to what we've previously done. I can't imagine that we're going to get an audience in there to watch it. So that that in itself is like we've done 10 years, 11 years of that show with an audience. Like it fundamentally changes it to, you know, try to do a version of that show that doesn't have an audience. Now, maybe in a good way. Maybe there'll be some mm. really excellent things that come out of that challenge, but it will be definitely a challenge. But then suddenly... You know, they're talking about music festivals not happening in 2021. And as soon as they say music festivals won't happen in 2021, I start to think, well, are comedy festivals or big comedy shows going to happen in 2021? Or it might be halfway through 2021 before I see that again. And then suddenly I realise, well, that means when Gruen's done, I've got another 12 months of being unemployed. I don't think you have anything to worry about, Will. I mean, music festivals is one thing, but comedy festivals, uh, I mean, after all, laughter is the best medicine. Mm. So I think you have the vaccine while the contagion is spreading amongst the crowds at a comedy festival. Just a, just a good belly laugh. Take a deep, big, deep breath from the crowd around you. I mean, all everything, the thing that changes everything is the vaccine, right? Mm, and yeah. to be honest, Donald Trump's going through so many different solutions for what it might be. He might go with laughter as the best medicine. He might send the comedians back to work. That might be his next thing that he does. He goes, I've heard this for years. It's been said forever. Laughter is the best medicine. The comedians have got to get back out there on the road. Maybe that will be the next crazy thing he says. I've got an apple. You have one of these a day. It keeps the doctor away. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, I, I think about that. I've, I, well, I've certainly started to think about it again, which is how will I well, earn my living for the next, you know, say 12 months well, or 24 months. But with a show like Gruen, you can do it a, without a crowd, you can space out the panelists, all that kind of stuff. But drama is a different thing. You know, I actually bumped into a seven executive and was just asking about all my friends who still work on home and away because they've obviously been shut down as well and it's now called home and home you can't go away yeah. <laughs> it's called stay in your home don't go away home and board this is the yeah. new show but i was asking her what they were doing and she said well they're just you know like everyone trying to find out what they can do um apparently neighbors is scheduled or has come back or is scheduled to come back and they are just going to employ social distancing within scenes. And like having done a soap opera for five years, like the whole thrust of that show is built around, you know, people falling in love, people falling out of love, people fighting. Like it's all close distance stuff. I, I would be interested to see how Neighbours pull it off. Like they, you know, they were calling the producers of Neighbours to sort of find out what their plan was. Like are you... Uh, all your storylines going to involve, you know, like a two-metre distance. Like, without addressing COVID itself, like, how do you justify the fact that no one is getting within two metres of each other? Sorry, guys, Toadie's still got a cold sore. <laughs> That's a really contagious cold sore. Everyone just stinks. <laughs> like, there is a, there's a sewage break in uh, Erinsborough. Is that Erinsborough, neighbours? Yeah, Erinsborough. Erinsborough. Yeah, there's a sewage leak in Erinsborough and no one wants to go near each other. Everyone stinks. Can I ask this? Uh, how far ahead mm. would a show like Neighbours be filming? Three months, roughly, I think. So could they not incorporate pandemic-like... Because we've been in this nearly three months now. Could they not go back to the start of this and start doing a sort of Neighbours in real time so that the social dis distancing within the show is reflected in the storylines of the show. Everyone starts to have to be a metre and a half from everyone. Everyone has to stay in their own homes in, in like in the court, you know, in, in Ramsey Street or something like that. Could they not? I mean, it, it is a creative challenge. Like having sat in the writer's room on Home and Away and seeing like the task those writers have is so 
huge. Like they will, on a Monday, they'll get together to have like a plotting meeting and they will map out sort of, you know, five episodes for the week. There'll be a list of the actors and their specific availabilities because different actors have different contracts. So some might be working, you know, uh, three episodes, some might be working five episodes. You've got locations and when they're available during the week. And so then they have to plot out two and a half hours worth of drama on a show that's been on air for over 25 years without repeating themselves too drastically and then throwing COVID in on top of that, I think you'd probably have like nervous breakdowns happening in those writers' rooms. But, it, but don't you just do exactly what the world did, which is all those things kind of have to weirdly be put on hold. So whatever your storylines mm. are, they just go into this corona holding pattern that we've gone into with the world in a certain sense. So like you get Dr. Carl, Dr. Carl gets corona. So Dr. Carl gets corona and Ramsey Street has to go into self-isolation. And then you're just filming inside location shots. You get everybody in their sort of, you know, uh, distancing zones and you incorporate it into the storyline. That's actually how you freshen up the show. You just do all the things you've been doing for all those years, but in the midst of a pandemic. And therefore you can also film it in a way that is good for social distancing because the storyline can reflect that. It actually would be a good way to draw out a bit of Erst. You know how like the Jim and Pam kind of thing. Everyone loves to sort of see that couple, will they, won't they, on again, off again. So I'm sure Neighbours and Home and Away and whatever other dramas have got some love story that they've been building to. You just delay that by another three right. months and you've got like the perfect excuse to do it. <laughs> and you have that whole thing about how they handle the distance between them or whatever during that isolation yeah. period. So it adds a whole new level to the will they, won't they. They were about to and then Corona got in the way. Or the other way, which is the, is it too soon in the relationship? And they move in together, you know, to socially isolate together and then realise that they're not for each other. It gives you a lot of creative ways to start telling those same stories. I think too that you need to go one step further because... You know, the world of Erinsborough and the mm. world of Summer Bay and stuff, they're kind of self-contained. You know, Mount mm. Thomas, they would have their own terrorist attacks. They'd have their own, like, music festivals. So you've got to take the idea that it's self-contained. So maybe you say that the pandemic or the virus originated in that town. So maybe, like, I don't know, oh, yeah. in Erinsborough, okay. someone, I love someone it. eats Bouncer. Yeah, <laughs> Paul Robinson at the Erinsborough wet markets bit their head off a bat. <laughs> What about Alf bites the head off a galah, a flaming galah? <laughs> Literally. It's, it's flown out of the bushfires. It is on fire. Yeah. Alf grabs it, thinks it smells like chicken, has a bite, and then the coronavirus hits home and away. Yeah, I think that, that, that would be the best way to do it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. In the home and away universe, because be you know that better. Tell yeah. me about some of the, like, you know, the iconic characters who are still there, the Elfs, the Irenes, the, those sort of people. How would they yeah. all react? So um, it comes to Summer Bay and, like, you mm. know, in the world that we have of people denying it, who's the Sam Newman type who's protesting that you can't play golf down at the, at the uh, Summer Bay golf course? I mean, this is going to sound terrible, but I was... <laughs> I very rarely took much a notice of other storylines when I was on this show. Like, I kind of would just get to my scenes and that's all I'd focus on because I'm like, well, unless my character has direct knowledge, you know, of these other events, I don't need to find out what's going on. So I would, be, I would probably have as much knowledge as you of the archetypes. <laughs> I can't give you any insight. But I imagine, like, 
if there had to be a curmudgeonly, then yeah, I mean, Alf would probably be, that is his characters. He's the curmudgeonly, you know, guy who owns half the town. So he would be annoyed that, you know, the tourists aren't coming to the bait shop anymore. Or right. The, um, the diner, I guess you've got Marilyn, you know, she, you know, co-owns the diner. And suddenly they're only doing pickups. Right. <laughs> so like you could do a storyline about like, you know, her profits being down. You know, maybe there's a sexy Uber Eats delivery driver who arrives and you can sort of have like a love in the age of Corona storyline with those two. I mean, they have to close the beach at Summer Bay. Yep. Because people are missing, <laughs> oh, yeah. are abusing their beach powers. There's too many people at the beach. Okay. Yeah, and then you can get like the River Boys and their mm. surf gang come to protest the closure of the beach in defiance of the lockout laws or the the uh, the quarantine laws. You get the River Boys storming to Summer Bay Beach to go for a surf, and then you can have it's always a rotating roster of police characters. Whoever's playing the policeman now has to come down and take on the River Boys. Yeah, see, that, I think that'd work. I think it's actually yeah, a, okay. a good storyline to throw in the mix for a show like that. Well, this exec just lived down the road. Maybe once we're done, I'll just go knock on her door. <laughs> Will and I have been talking. We think we've got a solution. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you said that to me yesterday, you were actually just making polite conversation, but I've, I've solved your problem. Here it is. Yeah. Let's <laughs> sketch out some storylines and some episode arcs. Please, I'm this close to wearing an offensive T-shirt for 50 bucks. Exactly. We <laughs> both we pay me to write the show. Yeah, we, we're willing to come on as a writing partnership, a gun-writing partnership to come in. We can be the Russo brothers and we will come in and reimagine Summer Bay. I mean, I do love that idea we've talked about. You know, that job of being someone who punches up a script, like someone brings you, you know, a script and says, can you just go through this and we see an opportunity for a joke? That would be a great job to have, especially on a show like that, which is just straight drama. And then they're asking you to find, well, what's the funny angles in this? Like, how can you, how can you find jokes in that? I reckon we could do something like that. We pretty, that's pretty much this podcast. Exactly. We go through a Pam Ayers poem and trick it up. Yeah, guns for hire. That's what we need to be. Yeah. We need to be consultants. Freelance, comedy, punch-up, guns for hire. Well, that sounds like a good new job. How do we make that happen? Um, Well, I'm hoping that by just saying it, someone else will make it happen for us. But that doesn't seem to have worked in the previous 300 odd episodes. Well, I guess the problem with that is it doesn't take away the fact that nothing's getting made or nothing's in development. I have a good friend who um, lives in LA and uh, he's a writer and an actor and he's had a few shows get made over there. And he was saying that it's the opposite attitude is happening over there. You know, in this shutdown... Uh, studios and and networks are putting more things into development they're treating it as an opportunity to kind of you know just churn through material any scripts they had that we've been sitting on the shelf they're sort of getting them evaluated and it's like i wish they could do that here i mean sometimes i understand it's this population thing and it's a revenue thing but do you sense sometimes that like creative occupations in this country are just completely undervalued (laughs) You mean because they are completely undervalued because they don't give a fuck about us because we were the first people overlooked when they were trying to help people out and bail people out and yet it's the arts that people mostly consume in these times. I mean, of course it's a great time to be producing content because when we come out of this, the bucket is going to be empty. People are going to have clocked Mm. Netflix and Stan and Amazon Prime and ABC iView and SBS and KO Sports, all the back episodes, and they'll have gone through all of YouTube and suddenly there will just be this massive thirst for these things that, you know, we were so desperate for something to all believe in during this fucking time. Everybody in the world watched Tiger King. Tiger King (laughs) is not great. 
Like I've watched it and it's fine, and but it's not great. But we were so desperate yeah. to feel something together, and we will be even more desperate to feel something together after this. And that will be new stuff because we will have gone through all the old stuff. It's a terrible time to not have anything coming out of this. I would have thought ready to go. Well, it's also how do you apply it to Australia specifically? Because the problem with the death of free to air and everything's going to streaming is that, you know, it's a global market now and you are competing against these big shows. And so without investment in development of talent and new voices and new ideas, like it's uh, when I was having meetings with Stan and they had sort of pivoted, they realized they weren't going to compete with Netflix in terms of like the scale and they couldn't commission huge budget shows or whatever, but they did start going about acquiring a lot of Australian IP and uh, one of the executive producers who used to work there was saying that they, whenever they put up like, you know, uh, a new Australian film or whatever, or they acquired an Australian TV show, it always got actually really good numbers. And they felt like there was, Australians want to watch Australian content, but it's just, uh, you know, if it's put head to head with CSI or whatever, or, you know, it's only given three weeks and then it's buried, that they don't get an opportunity to, you know, learn to love the show. And look, uh, here's what I would also say is it's been proved that Australians love Australian content. When Australian shows are big, they are massive and they will beat anything. Like, I mean, the ABC does a better job with this and obviously it has public funding and all those sort of things, but it's been terribly cut over the years. But I've been very lucky to be on a show for the last decade that I know mm. what we beat. You know, I see what, you know, big commercial shows and like those shows, those Law and Orders and CSIs and Blacklist and all these shows that in America were doing like 20, 30 million people would come out and they'd roll them in against Gruen and we would beat them every week. And that's not because, you know, we have the most amazing show in the world, but it's because Australians love good Australian content. And if they get an opportunity to consume it, they will consume it. Yeah. So what happens now though? (laughs) Because... Whatever development was in place was when there was actually good advertising revenue. There's going to be this huge gap. I mean, I know Stan, I believe, only just broke over even a couple of years ago. It's not like they're rolling in money. They Maybe if this pandemic hadn't happened, they could have filled the coffers and started commissioning more stuff. But even in that regard, if you look at the funding bodies, all of them are looking to do co-productions now, especially if you're talking like feature films or miniseries or, you know, big scale kind of productions. They want you to have like a Channel 4 or an American network or some other partner to share the cost because there just isn't the, the, the resources to invest in production. And that does change the stories that we tell because you suddenly have to yes. be telling international stories and international ideas or at least ideas that you think will be able to be sold internationally. Or feature or featuring like an English actor or an American actor in a lead role that you then have to justify. Yeah, and I think that that... I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with that and there's been some great shows that, you know, have obviously played in Australia that are uniquely Australian stories but also play internationally. But... There mm. is, by that model, you wouldn't make Kathleen Kim because Kathleen Kim yeah. was only really ever super successful in Australia. And when it tried to go overseas, it never really was the hit show because it is a very uniquely Australian show and it's a celebration and a satire and you need to understand Australian culture to get that it is both of those things, not one thing or the other. And that's the great success of mm. that show. Um You know, it could be a show that viewed from the outside prison where you go, oh, this is them making fun of working class people but i don't think at the heart of that show they are making fun of working class people there's some having fun with working class people but it's also a celebration of that sort of ordinary australian that you know character from the castle and 
I think that um, those stories, you need to inherently understand the culture to properly understand the story. Yeah. And it's also one of those things too where most, the majority of Australian shows that do well do focus on that kind of Australian because if they don't, they're considered pretentious. Like, you know, Australians love to sort of view themselves as being these kind of laid back, larrikin, salt of the earth kind of people. And any time that people try and stray out of that, tall poppy, we like to cut them down and go, why are you getting all this arty shit? (laughs) So you've been reading my reviews. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Just my concern is that, you know, if things do sort of, if the ship does right itself to a point, Mm. you know, hopefully sooner rather than later where people can start going to comedy again, um, music festivals, or at least, you know, if not a festival, at least people can go to a pub and see a gig or whatever is, if people aren't traveling, maybe that will put some focus more onto local scenes, local art scenes, music festivals, all that kind of stuff. But for television and film, Australians will still be competing against the biggest productions from from overseas. Like you can get your live fix in Australia and that'll be good for artists who perform live, but for people who, who make stuff, I don't know. I've just been feeling a bit negative this week. Well, I think... <sighs> It's it's at that point, isn't it, where this thing's been going. I think part of the reason that everybody's so keen to relax some of the restrictions is not necessarily because people believe that the restrictions, it is the best idea to relax them. I think everybody you know, knows at the back of their mind that the best thing would be if we all still just fucking stayed home for a bit longer. But I think everybody's at that mm. point where we're just like, oh, just can you relax it a bit? I need to not be at home. Justin, yeah. Yeah, it's just that mental relief. Like everyone got so excited a couple of days ago when they talked about relaxing it in a week's time. And even when they sort of said that this weekend you could have two people around socially distanced in your house, like Gemma and I sat down and made a list <laughs> we could invite around. We were so excited by the potential of having like a third person in our house. It really is just a psychological thing. We chose two people also. Like we did that because we were like, <laughs> are we going to take the two people option? Are we going to like, are we okay by ourselves or do we need for, you know, the sake of mental health? And I mean, Amy and I have been in quarantine for a long time because I, we started quarantining straight after the Adelaide Fringe Festival because I was sick and then it like it kicked mm. in two weeks later. So it's, and, you know, it's been pretty much us one-on-one for, you know, six weeks or, you know, plus or whatever it has been at this stage. It's hard to tell time anymore, but so yeah. we decided we're like, yeah, we have to get we have to get two in as well, and um, uh, we chose them. Like it was really going through a list of people going who best fits our criteria because you feel like you only get two, you feel like they can come back, yeah. but you feel like you can't just add another another two next weekend. You feel like you have to really go yeah. who are these people? Who are they seeing? Are they safe people to invite into our house? Are we willing to be the they, to be the people we play Pictionary with every Saturday night for the next six months? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like choosing guests for a wedding in a way. You've sort of got to kind of weigh up. Okay, like, you know, if in this situation, these are the first people I want round, or is this more about filling tables? And am I just inviting this person because they live nearby and it would be impolite for me not to invite them? We have um, friends who were like, well, they've got a house. You know, we live in an apartment. So maybe we delay them for a week and then we can go see them at their house because we can distance much easier at their house. And so we've been sort of laying out like our three-week strategy on catching up with people. Yeah, well, we had to go into that one where because the, the people that we chose, our, our uh, mental health couple, um, <laughs> about, 
it, firstly, it's a couple because, you know, but then you have to balance out the idea of going, where's the balance in the couple relationship? Like, is one person much mm. closer friends, you know, with... Like, so, for example, if we invited Gatesy around to be our other person, which was what we were doing early in Melbourne, was, um, mm. you know, he's... He's been my lifelong friend, but he's also a really good friend of Amy's. So you feel like, okay, well, if we're going to have like one person that we can Two have, ticks. That, that's pretty good. But if it's going to be lock in a couple, you need to have a sense of going, well, how does this balance out? Who needs the yeah. friendship and the relationship more? So we've chosen, yeah. um, so one of Amy's lifelong friends and her boyfriend. And so mm. I don't know him that well. But I just had to. No, I just had to go in or all in <sighs> on the idea that I would enjoy getting to know him, and so far that's gone well. So I'm I'm feeling okay about okay. the choice, but it was a bit of a leap of faith. Yeah, I I, th I understand. I think that that would be difficult. We chose couples that we have equal amounts of friendship with either. So if you were left talking to one, <laughs> like you'd feel just as comfortable if you were talking to the other. You know, my brother and his boyfriend as well. We felt like well, family. We need to get some family component involved as well. Um, do it's going to be interesting, isn't it? The next couple of like, I mean, it does feel like this next mm. week or two is going to decide how things go in a lot of ways. Because if it has a ma massive flare-up again and everybody just goes back to normal, then then it's really all the things we were just talking about in the first twenty minutes become absolute realities. Where you're like, fuck, okay, um, what do I do at Christmas to you know pay my bills? If my if my hood is a microcosm of the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which I think it is, it's going to be a flare-up. Like the 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 local burger store, this the insanely popular burger store near me has been closed for a month, and they opened on Wednesday, and it was it was fucking insane. There was just people all over the footpath, especially teenagers too, because they don't don't, don't give a shit. Standing in groups, sitting in groups, you know, mucking around. Like it it was one of those things where it's like I can't be a narc. I can't be a narc, but, you know, um, it's been six weeks now. Like, part of me wanted to just fucking call the council and say, can you just drive by and check out this fucking shit? Like, just get the owner to establish some kind of fucking, like, official system. Get some crowd control down there because I just, if, if it flares up in this neighborhood, which it did, you know, like, I live not far from Bondi and that was the epicenter for a while. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take another six weeks of, like, full-on lockdown because people had to get a fucking hamburger. Well... Charlie, here's what I love about you. You often what? use the expression, I don't want to be a narc, when what I think you really mean to say is you want to be a narc because there is so much of you that constantly just exhibits narkish behavior and has these <laughs> narkish flare-ups. And you're always like, oh, I don't think I'm a narc. You're a narc. I have only narked once. Yeah. I don't narc. Uh, no, that's not true. I'm a vigilante. <laughs> I don't narc. <laughs> I take the law into my own hands. Uh, I didn't knock on them. I actually, because I, I said, I got Jem to have a look because I thought, am I just overreacting? And she had a look and she said, no, that's pretty irresponsible. And I think to the owner of the store's credit, it seems to be more of a system. There's now tape around and people seem to be in, I think people were just so excited about something in this area being open for the first time in ages. They went bananas. And also the weather in Sydney has been good the last week and the beaches have been open. So there's just been a lot more, activity around decent suburbs i don't know if we talked about this last week but the way they're running the beaches now is like a music festival so there's cyclone fencing around all the beaches that funnel you so you can't just go on to the beach you can walk onto the sand and then the fences are set up in a way that they will funnel you down to the water so and then there's 
crowd control and security everywhere like a music festival so you will enter through the cyclone fencing and you're allowed 15 minutes so you walk down drop your stuff on the beach have a swim you're not allowed to come back and then sit in the sand or talk to anyone you're not allowed to go down in groups obviously um and so and then they and then you have to exit by a different way you can't come back up obviously to keep people apart so it's been this really strange you know it's such a beaut that that walk between bondi and bronte you know that coastline in australia i reckon is one of the, the best coastlines i've ever seen anywhere i've been in the world it's just so beautiful but there's this weird kind of uh look to it now where it's just all behind cyclone fencing with guys in high-vis vests who you know it's not it's not always super busy so i i, I see them down there just sitting on the bench looking at the water going like i wonder what you're doing like obviously they can't have headphones in or anything like that they've got to be on alert but there must be three or four hours in their shift where absolutely nothing happens like on a, a cold overcast day they've still got to be down there just checking that people aren't you know crowding the the foreshore what are you thinking in three hours because like if i did have three hours somewhere i would definitely have like a book or i would have like a podcast headphones something but like three hours of just thinking like sometimes i will force myself not to put in like a podcast and I will just go and do something presently in that moment mm. and I can handle about 20 minutes at a time of being inside my own head before I have to shut it down with something else <laughs> <laughs> just white noise if necessary just any sort of noise please I mean the, the, the look I see most often in, is just a kind of like thousand yard stare like a lot of them are just staring it's a beautiful view and I imagine on day one of that job they would have been like this is fucking great it's sunny you know when the weather's warm there's like cute girls in bikinis and stuff and then I reckon after like a week of that you're just like fucking hell <laughs> I would give anything for someone to talk to me or not just ask me is this the way to the beach or or something but I imagine they're getting paid quite well. I am noticing the noise here because I'm living in the country now, moved to the bloody farm. Mm. And uh, so outside, just the amount of nature that I am suddenly aware of, like all the different birds and all the different noises that they make and all the different frogs and the different noises that they make. And I've had to kill some cane toads, Charlie. And, you know, I'm, How? I love a not a fighter, um, but you have to kill cane toads. That's that, the actual rule because they kill other you know, native animals. With a golf, golf club? Not with a golf club, no, no, because I'm respecting <laughs> the rules about not playing golf during the lockdown quarantine times. I'm sure Sam Newman's very angry at me that I won't use a golf club. Uh, so, no, I, um, I tried a few methods because the thing is I want to do it quickly and painlessly. But So one of the things yeah. you can do is you can just freeze them in the freezer but we don't have enough freezer room for the amount of cane toads that we're going to have to deal with and also we just don't want cane toads in the freezer i'm sorry I, is that a weird thing but i yeah. just don't want like a cane toad in the freezer when i'm when i'm looking for my right. uh, you know uh you know pizza that i can heat up in the oven i don't want to have to like you know sift through some cane toads to get to it if you had like one of the, if you had a dedicated freezer like one of those big like meat freezers that sounds like you could create a death camp for cane toads exactly yeah which is trophies that was the original name of death camp for yeah. <laughs> death camp for cane toads yeah I, I like the idea of like there was a part of me that the first time you kill one because they are such uh, grotesque creatures that like there is a part of mm. you that just wants to put it on a spike as a warning to other cane toads like I'm here now <laughs> I'm here now motherfucker 
Um, so, so how are you uh, like catching them? Are they just they just they just sit there and you can pick them up? Or well, you can't pick them up because they're trap. poison. So you're not allowed to pick them up. Right. So you've got to keep your distance from them because they also spit poison. So you have to kind of kill them right. from a distance. So early on, my first uh, kill, my first kill was with a crowbar that um, <laughs> that I had. That, <laughs> that Amy had oh near the front God. door for security. She has this like, like the sort of thing that like a, a gangster in like um, what I imagine. What's that um, Cillian Murphy, uh, Tom Hardy show? Uh, Peaky, Peaky blinders. blinders. I was going to call it, say, call it risky <laughs> business. I always want to call it risky business for some reason. You know, where he slides in his yeah. socks and undies and then he kneecaps somebody. Yeah. So it's like a Tonya Harding style, like half a leg crowbar. And it's basically... It's matte black and it's cool as fuck. And Amy hangs it by the door for like, you know, personal security reasons. And the first time a cane sure. toad was go, I, I was taking the dogs out for a wee and the cane toad was getting too close to the dog and my instincts just took over and I grabbed the crowbar and one end has like a pointy sort of like, you know, fork-like end. And I just grabbed the crowbar yeah. and just went down and stabbed it with the crowbar, like, you know, and it's guts came out its mouth because this is what happens right oh, so when you stab them God. their guts fly out their mouth but here's the best thing Charlie you have to then make sure that they're dead because that's also the humane thing to do but also they're very resilient and they've been known oh. to you think you've killed them and you walk away and they suck their guts back in their mouth and they just get on with their business so the guts coming out the mouth is not a sign that, that is- they are dead but now fucked yeah. up <laughs> You're like Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Right. So I've, I've killed the first one with a crowbar, but then I realized I've still got to pick it up and, and go and dispose of it, right? So um, yeah. I go and get a shovel. And as I go to get the shovel to pick it up, I realize the crowbar is unnecessary in this process. All I really need is a shovel. Okay. It is great for keeping your distance yep. away from them. It has a sharp end, so you can immediately just like, you know, you can actually stun them and then... You know, you can hit them with the, you know, because that's easier if they're hopping all over the place. You can hit them with the back end, yeah. chop them in half, shovel them up, throw them in the neighbor's paddock. The entire process that you're meant to do. I get this like vision of coming to visit you once they relax restrictions and you stepping out and you're like, you've just transformed yourself into like the Punisher. You've just got like a skull and crossbones t-shirt. You've just got different kinds of shovels strapped to your back. The sun goes down and Will goes on his killing spree. When I walk out there, I feel like that guy from Game of Thrones who was like, and my axe. Like that, that is literally every time I pick up my shovel as a weapon, I'm like, what have I turned into? But there is so much of that that I've had to do because I'm up here wow. and that I will continue having to learn how to do. So I think you will, like last night we were lighting a fire for the first time, like a, the wood fire in the house. Mm. And so... Um, we had to, you know, go downstairs and chop some wood and collect some kindling from out of the garden and those sort of things. And I was just like, what What have I become? I'm killing cane toads and I'm fixing shit and I'm <laughs> growing shit in the garden and cooking stuff. And like, yeah, it's a, it's a whole new me. You need to start writing manifestos, just handwriting, just filling book after book with your <clears throat> in, in the most innermost in most thoughts those thoughts that you can't stand to be with for more than 20 minutes maybe we've found the solution well firstly that would be fine with my relationship because Amy thinks that Ted Kaczynski is hot and had some good points that is what <laughs> that's what came out of her watching that documentary that he was hot and he made some very good points and he only killed a couple of people I think she said to me at one stage what was his thing it was what was his um 
What what did he believe? He was now he was a guy who they did experiments on, right, with yeah. acid or something. Yeah, they did a series yeah, of give like, me the Ted Kaczynski yeah, story. No, but they basically fried his brain, you know, to try to work right. out what they would do to torture people. And was that a voluntary? Was how old was he, and how did he get involved in that? Was he in the army or something? How did that? Yeah, happen? I don't know the details of that, but I certainly wasn't voluntary. I don't think he signed up for. Right. I'm, I know you guys need to torture people. I'm happy to put my hand up to test those torture techniques on me. But you know, like in the 60, 50s and 60s, though, there were those kind of experiments, especially psychological experiments, where it felt like, you know, it's the scene they parody at the start of Ghostbusters, where they'll just electrocute you for no reason at all. So, I mean, I did, uh, what was I listening to the other day? They were talking about using acid as a, they used to experiment with acid because they thought that maybe it had come some kind of ability to be like a truth serum in the 60s and 70s and they would often give acid to people without the knowing like university students would sign up for some kind of you know experiment and some would be given a placebo and some would be given acid and then they would study them to see you know what their reaction was so that's why i thought maybe he volunteered for it he maybe he didn't know that's what he's volunteering for okay so ted kaczynski uh also known as the unabomber is an American domestic terrorist, anarchist, and former mathematics professor. Mm. He was a maths prodigy, but he abandoned his academic career in 1969 to pursue a more primitive lifestyle. So, 10 counts of transportation, mailing, and use of bombs, three counts of murder. So, yeah, that's what Amy said to me at one stage. She goes, oh, you only killed three people. (laughs) (laughs) That's that all. (laughs) You'd kill that many cane toads in an afternoon. (laughs) Didn't use a shovel. Um, so yeah, manifesto, I could, I could imagine that I could lean into manifesto up here. I mean, you know, spending a little bit of time on the land, I'm, I'm, I'm getting obsessed by my compost. I've been doing a yep. lot of reading about what I can put in my compost and I'm quite obsessed about the amount of rubbish that we're, cause I only collect the bins. Oh, this is in your area, bins. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Good. Lay it on me. Am I going to get angry? <laughs> so the bins get collected every two weeks. Instead right. of every week. So you have to be a lot more responsible of what you are putting in your bin, which is what we were trying to do anyway, which was like, so using the compost a lot. And I've been quite amazed at how quickly you can cut down on the amount of household waste you are putting in your bin. The one that we mm. are struggling with is, so they one week they collect the regular rubbish and then the next week yep. they collect the recycling, right? But so every two weeks you're getting one of those bins. Okay. Right. Every two weeks? Every two weeks. Right. Yeah. So like okay. on a rotation though. So there's a collection yeah. weekly, but you're only getting, say, the yellow bin collected every two weeks. You're recycling. Right. We are doing fine with the red bin. We are keeping that under the lid for those two weeks. The yellow bin, with the amount of alcohol we've been drinking during this pandemic, <laughs> has been a real challenge. <laughs> yeah, that... Uh our bin situation uh, is the same, but we also share it with the apartment downstairs. And I, I don't know. I get the feeling. Did I tell you this story about the guys who I think dumped <laughs> their case of beer in my recycle bin? And this is when Vigilante Charlie <laughs> rose to the fore. I can't remember if I told you this I don't story. Think you but did. It was just before the pandemic. I came down uh, to put something in the recycle bin. And there was like five folded up boxes of Tweez Extra Dry cartons in the bin. And I'm like, fucking Tweez Extra Dry. And I know the neighbors downstairs and I, they don't strike me as the kind of people who would go through like four cartons of Tweez Extra Dry. Like it's just not them. I knew it wasn't them. I knew it would come from somewhere else. And so a couple of days later, <laughs> I was coming back home 
and uh, there's a bunch of guys who live in a share house just down the road and they were coming out and they were all drinking Dewey's extra tries. And so I stopped and I said, g'day fellas. And they're like, g'day, they're waiting for like an Uber or something. And I said, uh, extra tries, hey? And they're like, yeah. And so I was like, you didn't put a bunch of your cartons in my bin, did you? Oh my <laughs> God, <laughs> you fucking knock. You old like, naggy knock. Naggy knock like, and the funky bunch. <laughs> that is you. That was what that situation was. They were the funky bunch and you were naggy knock. Mate, it was definitely them. I don't have the proof, but I actually even contemplated buying a security camera. The proof. Oh, great. Yeah. This is who you're becoming. You're only in your 40s. What are you going to be like when you're in your 60s with your security cameras and monitoring the local area for hooligans getting out of control? It's not It's not the local area. It's, it's specifically my bin. <laughs> it's my bin. I want to be able to take my recycling down because it's kind of like when you go to the cinema where there's preordained seats and you go to your seat and someone's sitting in that and they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. And, and so then it becomes your problem where it's like, well, you're sitting in my seat. Now I have to inconvenience other people by, you know, if you're not going to get out of my seat, I've got to move somewhere else. The movie started, whatever. That's the equivalent for me is I come down, my bin's full. Now I am posed the question of, am I going to dump my rubbish in someone else's yeah. bin? Because and what is the, the answer to that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> So how do we know that these this funky bunch has not been victim of the exact same situation that you've just described? Maybe the funky bunch are very responsible recyclers and then uh, somebody has dumped all their recycling in their bin and then they've had to pass that problem on to you. Well, that's... I mean, why... That still is their their fault. Like, they, they pushed me into a life of crime. <laughs> I was happy. I had a system that was going... I mean, I've even got to the point sometimes where I will just like hoard the recyclable stuff because the bin's too full. And it's like, I don't want to be always going and sneaking across and dumping in other people's bins. Night before collection, that's fine. But, you know, it's just either that or I just call the council and get a second bin delivered, but I just feel that'll get stolen again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also too, it's also because it's on a corner People just think they can just dump rubbish there. So there's like yeah. a broken fan out there today. And I get so angry. Like the last time someone dumped a bit of furniture there, I went out with my uh, spanner and, and, and screwdriver and dismantled it and put it in little pieces and put it in the bin. So at least it wasn't just sitting on the street. My God, who are you? I just can't stand the litter. I don't know. Is it like mildly OCD or something? I'm not sure that you actually should have Tofot merchandise. I don't want to be associated with this crazy, this bananas old man out on the out on the footpath dismantling rubbish. So you think I should have let those guys get away with it? I shouldn't have said anything. Because um, I've surveyed a few people about this. Like Jules Lund, I told him about it and he was yeah. like, I oh, know you're well within your rights. In fact, he said, if I was you, I would have just taken the boxes and just dumped it out the front of their house. Yeah. And I was like, the problem oh. is that Jules Lund is a is a legendary narc. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who he is. Jules is just like a shit stirrer, but he just, he's that kind of guy. He's all yeah. bluster and would go in and he wouldn't it wouldn't phase him in the slightest. He would not it wouldn't actually raise his blood pressure at all. He wouldn't get annoyed about it. For him it'd just be a matter of practicality. It's like, well, these guys have put their stuff in here, I'll just put it back there, then the issue would be done for him. Whereas I get emotional about the issue. <laughs> like I find, I take I take great offense. I feel like someone's trying to get one over me. Yeah, that you do. That is exactly yeah. what it is. Like because 
Yeah, his, his approach would be, you know, don't get mad, get even. Just take yeah. it back. You know, back to where you th- thought it came from. And, like, that would be great if it wasn't those guys who had dumped it in there, <laughs> but they are guys who drink to his new. And then yeah. they've come down to put their actual to his new in there and just going, hang on, have I... Did I black out and drink a slab of Tui's new? Because I can't remember drinking all those empties. I feel like in a weird way, it's some kind of karma. Because I remember when I was younger living in a share house and uh, we were moving out and we'd had this neighbor who had been building his house the whole time we'd been renting. It was really annoying, just constant like works getting done. And there was a big mini skip out the front. And when we were packing up the house and we had just, you know, hey, when you move out of somewhere, there's always little bits of rubbish that you need to dump. And just the car was full and had nowhere to put it. So I just threw like a couple of things into his mini skip and then drove off. And then a couple of days later, I got a call from the real estate agent saying the neighbor's thrown that rubbish back over the fence and the bags are broken and now it's all over the backyard. You have to go back and clean it up. And I remember being like, that motherfucker like he couldn't just let me dump in his bin he had a mini skip and i put like two bags of rubbish in there but that was not enough for him now i am him well the other thing is you don't know if you were the straw that broke the camel's back in regard to his skip bin because you're not the only person thinking that right and so he's had this skip bin that he's paying for and then people have just been dumping rubbish in it the entire time. And finally, he's seen you dump two garbage bags and he's like, fuck, this is it. I'm going to Jules Lund this. This is going back to where it came from in the first place. Well, when there's hard rubbish uh, on our street, yes, there are garbage pickers and they'll come by and they'll thin it down. But there is also, like if you've done a private hard rubbish pickup, like the amount of neighbours who start like clearing out their attics and adding to your hard rubbish, like the council when you when you do a like a you book a, a, a council clean up, you're meant to list all the items because they know that like if suddenly there's like a three seater couch there they're not going to take that, and so I remember once I did a hard rubbish thing and came out the next day and it had tripled in size. Like every person in the neighborhood was just like, we're going to get old bikes out there. It was like covered the entire nature strip. But the council took it in that instance, so it was all right. I mean, that would be better than throwing a Christmas party for your street. Like, you know, I don't want to go to a street Christmas party, but no. doing something nice for your neighbors once a year, maybe you just you go, you know what, guys? Next Friday, you, you put a little letter drop in everybody's thing and just go... I'm getting a private hard rubbish. Bring, bring out your dead. Whatever you want to send in, it's on me. Merry Christmas. Well, when you did your big move, did you find um, you got rid of a lot of stuff? No, not really, because we had an empty place to move into, so we had to basically just take everything and then move it into you know a new place. But there has been some stuff. We'll have to do a tip run at some stage here because there's yeah just some extra stuff or some stuff that was already here that is broken or we don't need that we've got a pile of that I'm just like I'm gonna have to go to the tip because that's what you have to do up here you have to bloody get yeah. a bloody trailer Charlie and you have to go yeah. out to the bloody tip and you have to dump it at the bloody tip and that's what I'm gonna do once I work out how- what any of those words mean and how I can do that <laughs> have you ever tried to reverse with a trailer uh, I have on the farm I remember having done it, but I can't imagine that as an adult, I would feel like I have any confidence doing it at all. That shit is like witchcraft. I have no idea. I've tried to do it once with my brother. I remember we were moving some stuff around and he said, can you back this thing up? And 
It's like it had a mind of its own. I could not control it. It's like, how do you steer this thing? I can't do it. I can only drive forwards. That's the only skill I can bring to this endeavor. I don't have the courage either. You know how some people just have the natural courage where they're like, yeah, I can do this. I'll work this out. I don't have that courage at all. I don't trust myself. This will give you a good example. So um, mm. I, I've got the old ride on lawnmower here. You know, it's the yep. previous owner's ride on lawnmower. And, <laughs> Who are you? And so it's a petrol lawnmower. But, you know, um, so part of what you do is you, you know, kind of start this lawnmower. It takes a little while to start. And you have to kind of, you know, do all these various different things. And the problem is that my hips are so bad that I can't actually properly straddle a ride on lawnmower. So I have to ride it side saddle. <laughs> so I'm literally, because all the pedals that you need are over sort of one side. And so I've got both feet over that one side. So I'm just riding. But you have to be sat on the seat of the ride on lawnmower for it to go. Because if you're not on the seat, it will automatically stop as a safety measure. So I have to try to balance myself on the seat while trying to control the pedals with two legs over in a side saddle position. I love that you're riding your ride on lawnmower like an elegant lady in the wild, wild west. <laughs> you have to sit with your legs folded over the side of the, of the horse. I, I honestly, that's what it looks like. If, if somebody went by when I was mowing the lawn, they'd be like, ooh, he's posh. He's fancy. La di da. Look at him. The way that he rides his ride on lawnmower. <laughs> Oh, you have to send me a photo of that. That is so funny. Well, but here's the best bit is so mm. um, part of the responsibility is also <laughs> you have to go out to the road and you have to um, like, you know, kind of slash the grass, you know. Nature strip. Yeah. Well, and you, not nature strip. Yeah. And you kind of do your share. You do, you know, the block sort of thing, right? And so it's quite a steep on each side of the road is quite steep. And so <laughs> you have to kind of do it in a way that like I'm so paranoid because like I'm all over it over to one side that I might like not be able to balance properly and I will tip it right so I'm having to mow it in a circle in a weird circle so that I can always be balanced out against the slope but then the other day it just got a bit too slopey and I sprung off that thing as if I was like you know running away from an explosion in a Nicolas Cage movie like I abandoned so quickly like pushed the ejector seat and just went wow I did it and did it tip no, it didn't tip. It probably wasn't even... It probably was nowhere near tipping. But I. That, my point is, that's how quickly I panic and get off. And so, uh, can you... Like, are you counterbalancing? So, are you doing side saddle in the opposite direction to the slope to yes. counterbalance? That's why I have to do it in circles. Because normally what you do is you just go up one way and you come back the other way. But I have to do it in, like, laps so that I'm always counterbalanced against the slope. I'd love the idea of someone just driving past and going, I think I saw Will Anderson riding side saddle on a ride on mower. And then he jumped off the thing like it was on fire. <laughs> oh, and then I couldn't get it to start again. So I was like pushing it up the road. I'm not, look, I'm getting better at stuff, but I haven't nailed everything immediately. I was wondering about that. Like you really are like, this is, this is your life now. It's like, you know, you're kind of going back to your roots in a way. Yeah. No, definitely. I definitely feel that that is the case. Like it does feel like being back on a version of where I grew up where you have to do a lot of things by yourself and for yourself. And in general, even though I'm finding some of those things difficult, I am enjoying the challenge of doing those things. I'm liking it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely some of the things that I thought that I would, you know, I was a bit worried about how I would, you know, deal with, you know, snakes and cane toads. And, you know, there was a snake in our tree the other day, like, 
You know, I'm yeah. like, oh my God, where am I living? There's a fucking snake in the tree chasing birds. Can you identify, I mean, what a, what kind of snake? Do you know what a brown snake looks like or a black snake? Yeah, brown snakes are brown and black snakes are black. Okay, easy, done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a regular Steve Irwin. But could you, like, would you know, or do you just treat them all the same anyway? Hey, I don't see colour, mate, when it comes to snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying in hospital. I don't see colour. Doc, the doctor's saying, describe the snake. Don't see colour, mate. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying much of anything. That's because no. the venom has entered your heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm blind. I've gone blind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was saying it in a weird way. What I meant to say is I'm blind from the poison. Shit, well, at least there's p- great potential for TOEFOP content in the future. Like, if you roll that light right on lawnmower or you get bitten by a snake, we're going to have stuff to talk about. It's good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've had to... My like, days were much the same, but yours yours, yours are full of adventure, killing things and leaping on. Like, it's like, speaking of Michael Bay last week, your life is like Michael Bay. You're off, like, destroying monsters and jumping off moving vehicles and... Oh, I'm a fair way away from actually being able to do any of those things properly. I will say this, like... Uh, last night, you know, we wanted to yeah, get the wood fire going and we hadn't done that before. And there's a pile of wood with an axe downstairs. And I'd yeah. had a couple of cracks at like, you know, really getting some firewood together and had not done a very successful job. But luckily we had decided on our, you know, emergency two people. And one of them is an actual man. And so yeah, right. <laughs> good idea. Just invite a man around. It's like I can see from that mullet and the fact that, uh, you know, he looks like a real man that he might be able to get us some firewood together. And he went downstairs and he said to me afterwards, he goes, oh, that firewood is so easy to cut. (laughs) You got cucked. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, come down and watch me. Come down and watch me. Watch me chop your wood. Chop your wood. Make eye con- he just He's makes eye contact with you the whole time <laughs> with each log just stare at me right in the eyes watch me chop your wood huh you like that ooh like butter just slice it straight through <laughs> you're the only hubby who's hired a hubby <laughs> Um, what else? Anything else? Um, no, what, that's do it. we have any letters? We've done it now. Should we do? Yeah, we've done enough top. We've do got we one letters? letter. I thought I was, I was going to let the mailbag fill up a bit, but we can read this one letter. Why not? Oh, we? Are we at, at the point where we can actually let it fill up a little bit? Yeah, yeah. The regular letters. We've, we've still got heaps of Patreon ones, okay. but we sort of say, well, we could maybe, why don't we do a Patreon one on this episode as well? Okay. We'll, we'll, and we'll tell people about the Patreon special bonus episodes while we're here. Yeah, so uh, if you want to support the show, uh, especially uh, during this period where uh, a few of our sponsors have uh, cancelled their subscriptions for the year, uh, if you'd like to support us in, in a way, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. Patreon is like, it's like a crowd uh, funding uh, site. So we put a bunch of bonus content on there and you can access it by supporting us for whatever uh, value you can afford this time. Um, there has been an uptick in people uh, becoming Patreon subscribers, which is great. And a lot of them are smaller uh, smaller donations, but every bit helps. So um, we try and give back by doing a bonus episode every couple of weeks where we go through uh, our Patreon letters. And the best thing about that is it puts you in line to win our uh, special prize with, for the first uh, 50. Uh, we The first prize we gave away was 50 sticker sheets. Um, and now we have brand new 
uh, uh, we keep them laughing so they keep you living fridge magnets. So uh, the best And speaking of uh, uh, we keep them laughing so they keep them living, there oh, yeah. are now face masks available on Redbubble. So if you want to get yourself a protect, uh, like a cloth face mask to be wearing around, there are a range of TOEFOP ones, including the medical professionals one. So uh, you can go to Redbubble, go to James Fosdyke's page and get yourself a uh, TOEFOP branded face mask. Yeah, when Foz sent that through, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get him to clarify, we're actually making these. But you were saying before, like, you know, if we do have a lot of uh, uh, doctors and nurses and medical professionals listen to this show who maybe don't want to put it all on Front Street by wearing a TOEFOP T-shirt. But, you know, as you're going into surgery and you look up and you see your doctor's got a TOEFOP face mask on, Maybe slightly less alarming, or maybe more. I would say more because I'm not sure that the red bubble face masks are ready for surgery. I feel like they're not N95 approved. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this is uh, from Sean via our regular mail. Uh, Oh, and if you want to send us an email, you do that at emailtofop at gmail.com. I've just finished listening to episode 278. No, no, 287, sorry, uh, where Scotty's alternative job description for his position as an orderly sparked a memory of my time working in a servo in my early 20s. I used to tell people on occasion, especially the young ladies, (laughs) here we go, that I was a petroleum delivery technician. Oh, yeah. And did that work with the young ladies? I'd like to know (laughs) because I'm saying, I'm thinking, no. Uh, It got me thinking that you guys might like to ponder a few more alternative job descriptions as a content filler. Or possibly alternative takes on the meaning of TOEFOP. When I first started listening, I took it upon myself to decode the meaning of the title. Without any research, I came to the logical conclusion that the hitting meaning was two old friends on pot. (laughs) Thanks for all the laugh over the years, Sean. Two old friends on pot. I mean, that's not bad. What about the actual description of the job, though? If we were to trick it up, we would say broadcast entertainment specialists. Uh, internet content uh, deliverers. <laughs> Mine was better. Yours was better. Yours was even better. Um, all right, let's go to Patreon, shall we? Um, yeah, so if you want to find us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. Oh, and if you want to go get some great merch, because that's another way you can support the show and get something back in return as you go. I've been giving out the wrong address. I've been missing a, a, a word. So it's redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Mr. Foz. It's a little complicated, okay. but podcast Mark will put it in the episode description um, that you can go there and... Sorry, I've got to open get a whole it. range of incredible merchandise because there's so much good stuff there at the moment. And there is Tofop stuff, there's Fofop stuff, there's philosophy stuff, there's Two Guys One Cup stuff, which are all our other podcasts. And there are all new episodes of those podcasts floating around at the moment as well. So there's a huge amount of content out there that we are delivering to you as internet content deliverers. And uh, uh, in, enjoy it. Go to YouTube uh, if you can't uh, support us on Patreon. Go to YouTube and watch the videos that are up on our YouTube channel and watch Charlie's award-nominated, uh, award-nominated, festival-nominated, yeah. award-winning No, uh, award-winning and award-nominated. I just found out that in Portland we've been nominated for uh, Best Micro-Budget Feature, <laughs> Best Micro-Budget micro Series. Um, uh, so I assume that's because they realized I shot it on my iPhone. But no, that's cool. So uh, if we win, um, I get made uh, president of the United States, I believe. 
Okay, well, I, I trust you to do a better job than the person they currently have in charge or the person who's going to be running against him. So, in fact, I think that would be a good result for everybody. So, fingers crossed that your fucking film wins the Portland Film Festival. Uh, so, Patreon, Jeremy gets in contact. He says, Dear Charlie and Will, I'm begging, absolutely begging okay. for you to make a doctor's only TOEFOP t-shirt. It would be one of the highlights of my medical career and I would wear it with pride. Is it too much to ask to be kept laughing and looking good while keeping them living? I hope not. I will gladly proof my bona fides and free medical advice for a shirt. All the best, Jeremy. Um, yeah, well, I think, Foz, Foz you're listening to this because you're doing the artwork. Did you do a number one medical podcast t-shirt print? I can't remember. But if you haven't, do it because it'll sell at least one t-shirt to Jeremy. <laughs> And probably one to Charlie and I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once we get the red bubble discount. Which, how come Foz never told us about the discount? Surely he must know it. He must be Well, maybe, maybe it does come out of his pocket then. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, this is something worth addressing. His name's Zachary. Now, just wondering if I get the TOEFOP 100 book, Living in America. Thank you for all that you guys do. I love TOEFOP and FOFOP, and I've listened to every episode from the beginning. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I do work in a machine shop, and you do keep me laughing, and I still keep lathing. So thanks for everything, Zach. Um, All right, so the TOEFOP 100 book has been our top-tier prize if you're a $20 subscriber on Patreon. And look, last year I had a baby and then there was bushfires and the pandemic. So I was about six months behind. So I know there's a few messages of people saying, hey man, I subscribed for 20 bucks. Uh, where's my book? All the books have been delivered now. I went back to uh, the middle of last year. Anyone who's signed up for $20, even if you changed to a lower, uh, a lower amount later on, you'd be getting your book. If you haven't got your book sent out to you, send me a message and I'll, I'll try again. But everyone should be up to date on your TOEFOP 100 books. And what I love, and I've said this before about us sending out prizes long after the people have applied for them in the first place, it does mean that some of those people will have naturally moved house in that time, which means they might not afford their mail, which means a complete stranger will be getting a transcript of our hundredth fucking show just in the mail. Oh, and by the way, um, sending those out because there's about three going to America and two going to the UK. And because of the restrictions, there's very limited flights leaving Australia. So it's quite a premium attached to the uh, sending of each of those books. I won't tell you how much it cost us. Please don't. (laughs) But fair to say, it was a lot. Okay. So anyone else uh, who's, uh, if you're overseas signing up at the $20 level, you may have to wait uh, before you get your book because that fucking burnt a hole in our savings. Oh, no. Curtis writes in, Hey, Will and Charlie. Just started watching AFL this past season. I love the sport, but I don't have a team to barrack for. As an American, I don't have a hometown team to root for. <laughs> well, as an American, you should also realize that root has a very different meaning in this country. Is this not the same uh, question that we answered on Two Guys, One Cup recently? Oh, yeah. Where he is, asked us which team. And he settled on Collingwood because of Mason Cox and the fact that he wanted to be part of yeah. the team. Yeah. Yeah, did we answer this in... Yes. In, oh, did we did this... Okay. When? Did we do this in the bonus episode? We did it in Two Guys, One Cup. It's a Two Guys, One Cup. Oh, okay. All right, he must have emailed both yeah. emails. Okay. Uh, thanks, Curtis. If you want to hear the answer to that question, it is has been answered on a podcast. Two Guys, One Cup, an <laughs> AFL podcast that is really about AFL. Um, he's asking if we wanted to bribe him to barrack for the Bulldogs of the Saints to send him a sticker pack. We're out of sticker packs, dude. Um, I hope you enjoy being a Collingwood supporter. Natalia writes in, 
Uh, to Colin Fop. Hi, Charlie and Will. I really enjoy your <clears throat> invigorating debate about the environment in episode 256, Everything's Fine. I know my letter is long, but I promise I have something interesting, if admittedly heavy, to say. Oh, God. Wow. Okay. I agree with you both, but I lean more towards Charlie's argument around the difficulties in overcoming the biological imperative to survive, breed, spread, and consume. To refresh, Will argued that we as humanity should get over that imperative and it shouldn't get in the way of us making sacrifices in our personal lives in order to save humankind. There's a word in philosophy which describes this biological imperative, canatus, or the innate inclination of a thing to continue to exist and enhance itself. Or a con artist who's someone who rips you off for money. Or con artists, which was one of the guys from D12. <laughs> I think there was a missing part to your debate. We are often either uneducated or lack power and have little alternatives to or understanding of pollution. Or we are educated and may have power, but are so disconnected from the consequences of our actions. Really, if every single one of us had to deal with all of the consequences of our environmentally terrible behaviour we would register immediately that our personal biological imperative to survive and the survival of of humankind as a whole are one and the same. If, and if we were in that situation and had the power to change things, we would. Let me illustrate my point with one example. I recently came back from my mum's village overseas and there they burn their rubbish, all of it, because that's what's always done. As historically as it was 100% organic, uh, as historically it was 100% organic and they could turn it into compost, there you go, Will. Bit of content for you there. <laughs> I, I, I put the ash from the fire on my compost pile. But their rubbish now is full of plastic. It's probably, and they probably still use it for compost. The place is stunning. Rainforest, paddy fields, mountains. And there is that enduring stench of burning plastic. There is nowhere else to put it. The waste disposable solution of the nearest town is to chuck everything in the adjacent canyon. <laughs> That's so Simpsons-esque. You know, what the Simpsons used to do brilliantly was just mock that kind of mindless groupthink of people. Just chuck it in the canyon. It's like the burning tire yard, the 20-year burning tire yard. Imagine if every one of us, as relatively educated and well-off Australians, were forced to deal with burning all of our own plastics in our backyards and our computers and our TVs, etc. If we had to burn our own peat forests and get paper and deal with the smog for months and burn down our, and burn our own brown coal and mine our own metals and make our own smartphones, exposing ourselves to extremely dangerous chemicals, all of it. Imagine. Right now, I'm looking around my kitchen and thinking about how every object got there. Our lives are drenched in capitalism and consumerism and alienation from everything that makes our lives function, from birth till death and beyond. Uh, Embalming fluids and coffins aren't exactly great for the environment either. We're finally starting to feel the effects and children are feeling it more acutely. But if we had to deal with all of it in an immediate physical way, knowing what we know about how it affects us, talk about cannabis, we'd all give up. We'd all give it, we'd give it all up. That's not how the world works though. Hope you considered that yarn worth your time. My apologies if it was depressing. Thank you for all that serious conversations and the many laughs. And thanks for your trusty sidekick, Mike Hal, for his excellent production work and extra layers of content. Like other listeners, I've often been lifted up by your podcast during dark times. So it is very, very much appreciated. If there are any sticker sheets left <laughs> and if I'm worthy of it, I'm nice and close. She gave her address. Uh, um, I work at a not-for-profit in a program that helps refugees. Nothing remotely atypical about almond, uh, about almond milk chai sipping uh, almond milk chai sipping me. And yes, I know almonds are terrible for the environment. I never said I wasn't a hypocrite. Um, and then she followed up. Hey, Will and Charlie, I'm assuming you'll ignore my last message because it's too long and boring. At least I hope you do. I'm a bit embarrassed by it. Here are my recent attempts at the Wikipedia game: chiropractic, quackery, Bell Gibson. 
Victoria, Gippsland, Sale, Will Anderson, Tofop. <laughs> okay, not bad. That's good. And Chiropractic, Australia, Heath Ledger, Home and Away, Leah Patterson Baker, Zach Maguire, Charlie Clawson, Tofop. Sorry, Charlie, Home and Away did not link directly to Zach Maguire. <laughs> What kind of quacky health fad do you guys think Tofop would be able to get away with marketing? Maybe since you're the number one medical podcast, correction, number one podcast amongst medical professionals, quackery wouldn't fly. On another note, I too have tiny ears and very shallow ear canals. (laughs) This is an epic letter. This is definitely getting a fridge magnet. I went to get molds for custom earplugs years ago uh, because I play music and the doctor nearly punched my eardrum. I still remember the look of shock on her face. I had pain in my ear for weeks. Needless to say, I never went back and never ended up getting custom earplugs. Thanks for all the laughs, Natalia. Uh, where do you start? Um, I, I like a, I, I thought her first message was, you know, really well thought out. And I think that one of yeah. the biggest problems that we face when we talk about these global problems and how we, you know, exist as human beings is that not everybody is at the same place in the race, right? Like, you know, yeah. it's very easy to make that argument and it's made by some terrible people as well who have different motivations, but that it's easy for first world countries to go, we can transition to renewables, but what about these emerging countries that are using this cheaper energy to... Now, I don't want to get bogged down into the detail of those countries are also you know, evolving to renewables and there are solutions to those, but the, the principle of the argument that we in the first world and Australia in very much one of the very first of first worlds don't have a real appreciation in our day-to-day what you know the rest of the world is doing and how they have to live from day to day and the huge economic consequences of one place can have on another place you know these people who never had to burn plastic suddenly have all this plastic and they didn't make that decision to have all this plastic it's just how the things come now you know that was that decision was made up the chain i get all that but i i think also in the context of the world's changed since she's written us that letter and we're seeing Mm. at the moment what happens when the entire world goes through the same thing and when the entire world has to have a think about, you know, locally, where do these things come from? Why are they in this in this so much plastic? Like, you know, they always say the idea of like, you know, when, when they make the bins smaller or they, you know, separate the rubbish, there's always these protests from people going, none of this fucking matters and they all dump it in the same place and, you know, none of it's getting recycled anyway. <clears throat> Some of which is probably a valid argument, but having the smaller bin, even up here, it does make you think so much more about how much plastic things come with or whether you will buy something that you could reuse the brown paper bag as you know to start the fire that you're going to make with the wood from the garden and you suddenly have to appreciate where all these things come from and how much you know environmental Mm. impact there is you know by our individual actions so i don't know it's like i mean it's a difficult conversation but i just don't think that we can career on my my gut instinct is we just can't career on the way that we're going because we're Mm. if our ultimate human instinct is to survive i get the idea that you have to survive on a your personal level but i also humanity has to survive for you to be able to survive on a personal level and i think at the moment humanity is being threatened and we have to balance human everyday survival with the survival of the the planet itself and humanity itself yeah i mean her point is spot on like if it's the same thing about uh you know uh, factory farming or the, the meat industry if most people had to actually kill the things that they consume they probably wouldn't it's just much easier to be out of sight out of mind and like you say those the thing about you know 
Australia selling their garbage to Indonesia or whatever, or it just gets dumped anywhere, or that giant floating <laughs> garbage island in the is in the Pacific Ocean or something? New Zealand. So, uh, that's okay. it is <laughs> Take that, a hey. great place. Take that, you fucking, fucking hell. succeeders. Well, it's pretty soon it'll be the only place we can take a holiday to, right. so don't piss them off. <laughs> uh, what about the quackery? What do you think that we could sell? What, what do you, I mean, if we, could we do like a Pete Evans-type light? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it would be some sort of marijuana-based product. We could become the... That's, is that quackery, though? That's legit. Well... <laughs> It is <laughs> not the way we use it. <laughs> um, some of it can be, and some of the science is not very settled science. There's a lot of supposition about what it's good for and what it's not good for. But um, we could, yeah, we could say that Tofop was always two old friends on pot. And, you know, we've been doing a 10 year, we could become the face of a cannabis company, like some cannabis company well, but- who wants to get into the podcast world, because that's, if there's ever been a product that should be advertised through podcasts, it is cannabis. <laughs> and so I think that- well, it's going to be legalized soon enough and they're going to need some brand partnership. Like it yeah. makes sense. I mean, Kevin Smith, doesn't he have his own line now? And who who in Australia? Okay, this is a good question, actually. If it gets legalized in Australia and they need some publicly identifiable stoners who are willing to be the face of the brands, like Snoop has his own brand or like Kevin Smith has his own brand, Joe Rogan, I imagine, has his own, like, you know, strain or whatever. Like, these are identify Doug Benson, you know, these identifiable yeah. stoners, Willie Nelson, whatever, where you're just like, okay, these guys can be the face of my company. In Australia... Who are we competing with to be the face of a marijuana company? I don't know. Like, who's kind of public? Oh, Jack Thompson. Oh, yeah, okay. Jack Thompson. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Jack the lad. Um, is there anyone else? Who's like another kind of... There must be like some musician or something, surely. Yeah, that's like a- I don't know. Like... Like, uh, um, I imagine, I mean, I'm, this is just me not knowing anything about this person or their music, but John Butler Tree. <laughs> like, I've got to, got to believe they would. Ash right? Grunwald. <laughs> Anyone with dreadlocks who lives near the ocean. Anyone who might not wear shoes to a gig. Yeah. I don't know. We don't really have a, a, a history of kind of uh, like publicly identifiable stoners, do we? It's something no. like in the States where even before it was legal, you had like your Cheech and Chong. We don't have the equivalent of that. Well, that's why I'm saying, in, Charlie, in, we might be the equivalent of that. Maybe well, that is even, the exact area that we need to lean into. <laughs> all right. I mean, it'd be we'll hard to lean into it, it any harder. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd be willing to make the sacrifice. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want.